Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your goodness, Lord. We prepare to look at your word. I'm asking, Lord, you would teach us. Open our hearts to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that anyone who needs to know you, Lord, Lord, and Savior, anyone, Father God, needs to walk right with you, anyone, Lord God, is going to be online. It's going to be And here's the teaching, Lord God, and I just pray that uh, you would edify them, Lord, equip them, encourage them, educate them, Lord, that they don't know you, Lord, that they would make it a point in their heart right now to get things right with you, Lord. I believe the time is near, Lord God, and I pray, Father, that you would encourage us all, help us, Lord God, to, to find it. Uh, Right now, that's just urgency is needed from church work, from lost people in our family, the lost people in our family, the little kids, Lord, that we need to reach out to help us, Lord God, to have that sense of urgency. Look with us now, walk with us, Father God, as we look into your work, and I pray that you would speak Also, some of you may remember I have challenged you to pray with me at 7 o'clock every night for Israel, as we close tonight at 7. I want to ask you to stop and have a word of prayer. We've got to be our closing prayer for Israel and for the peace of the Jerusalem. All right. So some of you um, have um, talked to me a little bit about Israel. Some of you asked me where we are. I'm talking about timelines and things of that nature. Um, and to be honest with you, um, nobody 100% knows. There's guesses and cases and thoughts that go out there, but deep down inside, nobody really know. Uh, my, my advice is this. Keep watching. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Keep praying. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Keep reading. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And keep witnessing. And when he returns, when we're found busy, he's going to say, well done, how good a faithful servant. If he comes back and finds us saying, well look, he's been staying too long and he's waiting too long and I didn't think he was coming tonight, we're going to be found lazy. And I don't want to be that lazy servant. Alright. Um, have you heard the story about the, the rabbi? So there's this rabbi who has retired, and he ends up going to uh, another synagogue. And of course, uh, as he's in that synagogue, his son is starting to grow up. And so he sends his son to America, and as he is in America, he goes to New York, and he ends up leaving his Jewish school called Heider. He ends up leaving Heider. He ends up going to an American public school. And while there, he becomes a Christian. He ends up going to Jerusalem to evangelize Jews. And so this retired rabbi goes in to speak to his rabbi. He says, oh, rabbi, what am I supposed to do? My son went to America, and now he's back in Jerusalem as a Christian. The rabbi says, oh, tell me all about it. I sent my son into Jerusalem where he met the Jews for Jesus, and he now is a Christian. So what are we going to do about it? So the rabbi says, you know what? We're both here in Jerusalem. So let's just make our way over to the wall, the hotel, the way to walk. So they both did, arm in arm, all those black suits and all those white strings, all those black hats. They made their way over to that waving wall. They stopped in front of that waving wall, both of them placed their hands upon it. They wrapped their leather straps around their arms, called the seven. Both of them began to cry out, God, our sons have become Christians. And that's when God spoke right there in the middle of Jerusalem. He said, you're telling me your sons became Christians when you sent them to Jerusalem? Well, let me tell you what happened when I sent my son to Jerusalem. <laughs> Where did I hear that at? Uh, someone shared that with Ben Shapiro, and I thought he was going to split a five. You know, split a five. At the end, he said, that's funny. <laughs> he said, that's funny. So, uh, we're in Gospel of John, chapter 1, how the text messages come and speak. I want to share with you a little bit about the Gospel of John. Um, John is one of the 
Christ in the New Testament, the gospel. It is not far the latest gospel. It's the one that was written the latest. And there's some debate over the years it was written. Uh, so it really doesn't matter when you hold to the written. I'm a, around the 80s, late 80s, 90s guy for the gospel of John, uh, but it's, it's irrelevant to be honest with you. What's relevant is that it's written and it's here. And I want to share with you a little bit about the Gospel of John. I want to share with you a little bit about some of the deep meanings just in that very first chapter, in that very first verse. And remember, the title of Christ's message is Come and See. And so as we look into Come and See, we're going to learn a little bit about what it means to take a look into Jesus. I love John because he builds stories on something that again to be explained in the So look with me, please, start in verse 1. I know we're going to get up to 38, 39 here in a minute, but let's take just a minute to take a look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him by anything made that was made. So as you look into this, you see this deep, intimate picture of God and the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. In fact, if you were to read that in Greek, it sounds like this. In word. The Word was with The Word was with God. And that Word, cross, that we talked about there, with, I'll translate it, cross, has this deep accusative meaning. This meaning means in face to face. And so as you translate that particular verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You need to get the idea and the picture that the Word is so close, right next to God, but yet so close to God, they are literally right standing next to each other. See, the word pros in Greek doesn't just mean next to. The word pros also means face. Face. So you get the sense then in John 1, verse 1, that the Word of God is face to face with God. So close. That your nose In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. Now, people have often talked to me about that Word, and I'm not going to spend time tonight going into the Jewish picture of the Word. Incidentally, if you are a Hebrew reader, you'll know <laughs> that Word is always right next to God. There in the beginning, in fact, there was nothing made that was ever made without that Word being there. read through it. Powerful. And I want to encourage you to take some time to look into our New Testament. We call it in Hebrew the Brit the New Covenant. Or better yet, the Renewed Covenant. The covenant that was made new again. And it's all about this Word that is face to face with God. A Word that comes down and becomes Flesh walk with us. The word that we get to behold is grace and truth. The word in which we get to see is faith. The word in which we get to walk with. That's what we're picking up this evening. If you're online with us tonight, I want to welcome you. That you consider joining us in the sanctuary with Robert Avenue. What God is doing here. And I want to encourage you, as well as the parishioners here in Robert Avenue, to look deep into the Word. Not just deep, not just word study, not just 
what a word means, what symptoms mean. Even though those are wonderful things, sometimes the feeling is there. The feeling. So I want to translate it, if I may. Some of that feeling, if you look into tonight's message, come and see about a word. A word that is more than just study. A word that is more than just philosophy. A word that is more than just theology. But a word that invites you have a relationship. You still have that same invitation today. Come and see. Look with me in John chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 38. 29, the Bible says, Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? He said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Jesus, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. So it's late in the daytime. It's too late to start heading back to where they went. And we begin a story of a few disciples. And the one we're going to focus on this moment is a guy by the name of Andrew has a brother. Anybody know his brother's name? Peter. That's right. Oh, Stephen. Oh, Petros. Or Titus, you might say. Or Petros, if you need to use it. I like to call him the original Southern Baptist. Amen. Why? Because Peter has the foot in the mouth of the beast. That means he often speaks before he thinks. He often reacts without looking at what his actions will cost. I love the New Testament because it illustrates deeply that this physical truth we have here on earth. You say, what is that physical truth? Every action has an equal yet opposite. Help me out. I don't care who you are. It happens. You push my button, I'm going to push your button. That's the way it goes. Now you say, well, as Christians, we overcome that. That's true. But there is still that opposite reaction. It's there. If I were to reach out and knock over a chair, half of you would say, that's the silliest thing I've ever seen. Some of you would say, why are you doing that? Some of you say, I'm knocking over a chair with that. Equal yet opposite reaction. If a car were to hit another car, we'd have that car pushing it and it's called you know what it's all about. Equal yet opposite reaction. However, we're looking tonight then at the invitation of come and see. And we're looking at this guy named Andrew. And Andrew decided he was to find out about Jesus. Now, just to give you a little background, Jesus has appeared on the scene, and he's appeared because John the Baptist is preaching. And John the Baptist is preaching, Behold, there cometh one that is mightier than I, whose shoe latched I'm unworthy to reach down and untie. Now, let me translate that for you quickly. That means that his shoestrings are so holy, I don't have the right to touch them. That's free, barren, holy. Think about that for a second. He is so worthy and so wonderful and so majestic and so powerful that I don't have the right to untie his shoes. That's a beautiful thing, John the Baptist said. I am not worthy to untie his shoes. And there comes a time for each of us when merely talking about Christian life is not sufficient. And that's really what we're looking at tonight. We're looking at the invitation Jesus gives come and see. Remember how we started out? This particular message is about a personal invitation and not about some philosophy and not about some statutes or some set of rules that you follow to get yourself better or better in God's grip, right? No, no. No, Christianity is something different. 
comes a time when each of us has to understand that really talking about Christian life is not sufficient. We must actually step out on the journey. And we could spend many hours debating and discussing issues related to the Christian life, but this means little if we never actually step out and follow Christ. Andrew sees Jesus and he is intrigued. Not only is he intrigued, but he begins to follow. And as he follows, Jesus turns around and says, What are you looking for? You know the rest of the story. Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see. After generations, the coming of the Messiah had been pondered and predicted by the nation of Israel. In fact, that's all they talked about for years. Just like we in the Christian church right now, all we talk about is the second coming of Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? That is all we want to talk about. When you go and get yourself a Christian movie, nine times out of ten, it's about Jesus coming back to you. Amen or oh me. Most of us say, yep, that's what I want to watch. That's what I want to see. I want to learn this guy's opinion. Not just that, but you pick up a book and it's about the rapture, or about the not rapture, or about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what interests us. That's what intrigues us. Well, Israel had no acceptance to that. They were intrigued about the coming of Messiah. And that's all they talked about. In fact, there was this feeling in the air. It's reported in the Talmud. What is the Talmud? It's just Jewish book that talks about history there. And this understanding that something was about to happen. And I believe that that is in the church today. There's this feeling, there's this understanding that something is about to happen. We don't really know what's about to happen, but my goodness, something is about to happen. Looking at the world today, you can't help but say God's about to do something. And here, the Jews have been talking for generations now about Messiah coming all they talked about. They gathered together, they debated about it, they wrote books about it, and they constantly spoke about it. Generation after generation they passed. Until finally this expectation was in the air. This expectation began to leave, especially when John the Baptist shows up on the scene. As John the Baptist begins preaching a sermon that they hadn't quite heard before. A sermon that was simple. And that simple message contained a very simple sermon. Repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. And out of nowhere, people began to turn out. Out to the River Jordan where he was baptizing at. They came flock by flock, crowd by crowd, town by town. His popularity brought with them Pharisees. popularity brought with them zealots. Brought with him religious leaders. I want to talk to you about the Gospel of John. I said earlier, it's written the latest of all the Gospels. How do we know that? Well, number one, there's absolutely positive. no mention of Sadducee. Why? That's because it was written after the destruction of the temple. See, the Sadducees believed that only God would work in the temple. Of course, when there was no temple, what was that meant? We're gone. And there is no mention of them whatsoever in the Gospel of John. None whatsoever. They are gone. And what was left is now transferred into what we call rabbinical Judaism today. It's Pharisees. It's still Phariseeism. It's still study, 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 and never do, never do, never do, never do. And yet we have a picture of the Messiah who still looks and says, Come and follow me. Come and and the invitation is still being put out in churches today, and it's still being put out in Christianity today. Come and see. Andrew 
walked on the scene that day. Pharisees showed up and said, Who are you? Are you that prophet? Are you Messiah? Are you John the Baptist? Are you Elijah? Those remember the story. John the Baptist says, I'm not any of those guys. I'm just a messenger come to make straight happens to the Lord. But there is one coming who's mightier than I am. These Jews are unworthy, unkind. This is the world then that opens up to Andrew when Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist, whatever day that might have been, I wonder in my mind's eye how it would have looked when out of nowhere as John is baptizing, he's doing a Jewish ritual called mikvah. And that mikvah is a picture of I'm cleansing myself before God comes. And let me tell you how it was done in the Old Testament. In fact, every time God was about to reveal himself, mikvah was commanded. And so when John the Baptist shows on the scene and starts baptizing, the expectancy of God's about to do something got even stronger. So what do you mean, Pastor? Let me give you an example. How many of you are familiar with the Exodus story? Oh, every one of you should be. We do Passover here at Robertson Avenue. We are blessed to be able to do Passover. But before the original Passover, before the giving of the Ten Commandments, God commands Israel, watch yourself. Hebrew, that's It's a ritual. It's not getting the water and scrub and soap. It's a cleansing. Like a baptism. In fact, if you go throughout Israel, some of you have been to Israel, you come across mikvah after mikvah after mikvah. That's a picture of the religious fast. It'll go in and come out. That's a picture of ritual cleansing. And John's picture was that. And it was a picture of baptism that is of repentance. Some of you have asked that question before about, we had these believers like in the book of Acts. It says, hey, we've never heard of Jesus. We're only baptized into the baptism of John. Now you understand we're baptized only in repentance and not in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. However, we're looking at the picture now of Andrew. This world where John is preaching, this world where Jesus has come on the scene, and I wonder what it's been like. Those Pharisees are there, those zealots are there, those Herodians are there. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus comes up. I wonder silhouette of the Lamb of God came up and John just got quiet. I wonder what it would have been like when his head broke the landscape. Up it comes. And out of a sudden, John was, in my opinion, fiery, deep, booming voice. One that would say things like, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. He would say things like, the axe is even now at the stump of the tree. He would say things like, the fire is even now burning. He had powerful, powerful symptoms. Simply, when Jesus broke that scene that day, John's preaching changed. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Naturally, Andrew, who had been listening to John's sermons, was intrigued. Remember now, the generations of Jews have been talking only about Messiah, the Messiah. The inside of our Greek New Testament, we have a great translation and we call it Christ. That's why we call it Jesus the Christ. Christ in the Bible is the exact same thing. Christos in Greek. 
Now, Andrew had listened to John the Baptist and heard of the coming Messiah. And suddenly, he was face to face with the one he had yearned to see. All his life, he'd heard about this. His grandpa talked about it. His father talked about it. His mother talked about it. His aunt and his uncles and his cousins talked about it. One of these days, Messiah is coming. And we also know that they expected the Messiah to do. They expected the Messiah to show up and raise an army and kick out Rome quickly. That was the general expectation. Those that had did more than just talk about the world, those that read it began to understand the Messiah must. So Andrew's mind must have been filled with questions he longed to ask as he theologically. Instead of entering into a theological dialogue with Andrew, however, Jesus turned and began to walk. He began to walk. And that's the basis of this evening's message. Christianity isn't a philosophy. And I know that some churches like to pray it that way. They like to give you this formula for success. And the formula is, do good, get blessed. But I want you to know Christianity is not a formula. It's not some secret to success. It is a relationship. And if you are walking with Jesus, you are already blessed. Already blessed. I was with someone a few days ago. He spoke to me about, hey man, when you're a Christian, you're supposed to have God's blessing. I was like, brother, if you are forgiven of your sin and you have an eternal life in heaven, you are so blessed. He said, no, 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 we're supposed to have this fullness of life. And I said, yeah, I'll tell that to Stephen as those rocks came crushing down on his head. Tell that to James as the sword touched back in his neck. Tell that to John as they lowered him into the back of Borderland. Or to Peter as they nailed him upside down on the cross. They began to say, well, wait a minute. That's not what I have been taught. And I said, it's because you are not walking with God. You're walking with a philosophy. You're walking with a formula. You're walking with a teaching that says, do it my way. And you've got some successful reason to break through the wall. But that's not what Jesus said. Remember Andrew now. His expectations are there. Remember his questions are there. He's a normal Jewish person. He's a normal believer like this. So I want to introduce you to this thought. Inside of the New Testament, these people are real. They are real. They have real questions. They have real problems. They have real ideas and real thoughts just like we do. They face the same trials and tribulations and temptations that we do. In Monday night class, we learn a little bit about some of God's prophets and we learn about Ezekiel and we learn about Isaiah and we learn about Abraham and we learn that they face the same problems and trials and temptations that we do and they have the same worries and concerns that we do. That's right. You might have been just the other day saying, I'm going to pay my electric bill. I want you to know, God's people go through that all the time. You are not alone. You are not alone. God, am I going to pay the cable bill? Well, you know what? If you ask pastor how to pay the cable bill, they turn the cable off. can't afford it. You don't need it. Somebody say amen. Not just that, but cable nowadays is a scam, right? Now, get ready. Facebook's got to cut us off, right? <laughs> yeah, buy the internet to get that, right? Here's the deal, though. Andrew's mind must have been filled with questions. He longed to ask, instead of entering the theological dialogue with Andrew Harbour, Jesus turned and began to walk. Because Christianity is not a debate. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not some particular resource or formula to learn. It is a relationship. And this is what Jesus said. Andrew's questions would not be 
alone, but by walking with Him. And some of you have questions about Jesus that no preacher, no pastor, no deacon, no Sunday school teacher, no commentary, no theologian can ever answer. But they will be answered if you will walk with Him. Let's take a look at our next slide. Isaiah 1.18. Let's take a look at the power of walking with God. And that's what I want to encourage you to do tonight. Andrew was invited by Jesus to walk with Him. Come and see. And I believe that invitation is still being given out by Jesus Christ today. Come and see. Find out who I am. Taste of the Lord and see that He is good. Look at me in Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together and say the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come, let's talk about it. Learn from me. And on top of that, walk with me. You can't come to God and stay where you are. You can't come to Him unless you get up and follow Him. Unless you heed what Jesus said. Come and see. Come and see. you remember the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew? He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you my burden. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My burden is easy. And my yoke is mine. Let's continue on that thought of walking with God now. Next slide, please. Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? I love Amos. I love Amos. He's an amazing individual. His name is a powerful name. I want to encourage you to find out what Amos means in Hebrew. I want to encourage you to read his little book. It takes about 12, 13 minutes to read his whole book and say, wow, what a powerful prophet. There's nothing little about his book. There's nothing little about his message. I want to tell you a little bit about Amos. Amos asked the question in chapter 3 that we all ask. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Do you understand the picture Amos sets out? Sooner or later you're going to come to a crossroad. Sooner or later you're going to come to a traffic scene. Sooner or later going to go, whether it's a right turn or left turn, or you turn. If you're not agreed, one, or a part of the rest of you. And what we do sometimes, as Christians, is we get on what we call the Jesus road, and we start walking with Jesus' way, and we even can catch up to where we see Jesus' robes, or Jesus' feet, or other of Jesus' disciples, and we say, I'm there, I'm walking with you. And then, when there's a right turn or left turn, walk off because we don't really agree. Growing up, I had the privilege of reading a book that had been canceled. That's right, I'm talking about Dr. Seuss. Amen. Remember the Dr. Seuss books? Do you remember the the, 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 the North and the South Catalina? Somebody else read them too. Do you remember those Zaxxas came face to face? And I said, if I move one inch, I'll be going east. If I move the other way, I'll be going west. i got to go north. i got to go south. And the other ones, they wouldn't move. And they just stood there nose to nose. In fact, the world grew around them and built around them. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? You can't go with God and stay the same way you are. You will change if you walk with Him. You will change if you listen to Him. And while you're walking with Him, you're going to find out that God is all about answering questions. Let's take a look at our next slide. 
Genesis 5, 23 to 24. Looking at walking with God now. We're going to look at one of my favorite characters right here in verse 23. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. God took him. And so the picture of of Enoch's walk is eventually he got so close to God's house. God took him, was not. 365 years. Some of us have a hard time walking with God 365 minutes. True. It's true. My Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not, but God took him. Remember now the invitation that has been given. Come and see. Come and see. And that invitation was given to Enoch years ago. Come and see. Stop to think about Enoch a little bit. Enoch. Enoch is an interesting individual. His grandfather is the oldest guy in the Bible. Yeah, 969 years old. You ever stop to think about preaching a sermon on what it would be like to be alive? You thought about preaching on that? Day? Man, what did you see in 969 years? I was looking at that the other day. And I looked at, and we had one of the oldest veterans die. That record was that he died in the 1940s. He fought in the American Civil War. He died at 107 or 108 years old. Something like that. He fought in the American Civil War at seven years old. Seven was a wagon run. Fought for the Confederate States of America. Seven years old. Dies in the 1940s. You can imagine the same as he fought in the 1860s. Imagine learning about the nuclear bomb, the atomic bomb. Could you imagine learning about Japanese across the ocean? Could you imagine learning about Nazi Nazism? Could you imagine him saying, "Wait a minute, I was fighting to divide this country. Now I'm fighting to preserve this country." I don't know if he fought in World War II or not, but I do know the things that he saw must have been an amazing life. And so that brings us to the thoughts of Methuselah. What would it have been like to live 969 years? Can you imagine the things that he saw? Can you imagine the differences of family, the different outlooks, and the different outtakes, and the different thoughts of family? Some families grew up thinking God is more important. Some of them saying, you don't care about God anymore. Sounds a lot like modern day America, though. My point is this, though Enoch walked with God 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, but God took him. The invitation is still there, just like it was with Enoch, just like it was with Andrew. It's there with you. Come and see. Let's look at the next slide. Christianity is not a set of teachings to understand. It is a person to follow. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. There is absolutely, positively, no philosophy. It is a person to follow. As you walk with Jesus, Andrew watched Jesus heal the sick. As you walk with Jesus, Andrew watched Jesus teach God's wisdom. As Andrew walked with Jesus, he watched Jesus demonstrate God's power. Andrew not only learned about God, he actually experienced God because he was walking with God. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. That's what I want to get you excited about. You too can walk with 
Jesus. You too can experience Him. You too have that same invitation. Come and see. Stop to think about what it would be like if you heard that right now. Come and see. Would you be willing to be a part of Jesus? Perhaps you say, Pastor, I thought Christianity was living a holy life. And therefore, no one could judge me. No one could look at me bad anymore. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity at all. Christianity is coming with you. And as you walk with Jesus, you're going to find that the sins you once loved, you're going to start hating. You're going to find that the closer you get to Him, the more you hate the things of the world. The more you're going to cast them off. And the more you're going to say, I don't want to be around them, the closer you get to them. Because Christianity is a person. The worship of Jesus Christ. A person to follow. Let's look at our next slide. Moments will come when you stand at a crossroads of your door. Thanks, some of you might be there right now. You have a hundred questions for them. I do. I have a hundred questions for them. In fact, when I was a young Christian, I used to say, Stupid things like when I get there, I'm going to demand of God an answer. Let me tell you why. When I get in front of God, He's going to be demanding of me. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. I used to ask that all the time. God, who's going to answer this thing? God doesn't have to answer anything. Andrew had a hundred questions in his head. Chuck, you may have. Some of you have come to me and said, Why is this in the Bible? Why is that in the Bible? How come this is here? I don't like the way that looks. I watched the show the other day on Christian theology. They talked a little bit about the Jewish holy wars. I said, what are those, Pastor? Well, you've heard of the Islamic holy wars, have you not? Yeah, I bet you have. They call them all the time, right? We'll just call them the Islamic holy wars. You might know what those are called? Jihad. Very good. Jihad. And that means we'll go and fight you in the name of our God and Die happy martyrs. Well, Israel had a few holy wars as well. It wasn't called Jihad, it was called Khalid. Khalid, that's the Jews. You say, what are those? You know, you said them. Wage war with Amalek. Wiping out. The people come to me and say, why? Because God and see in the New Testament who so loves the world that he gives his only begotten son, orders Israel. So they come to me and say, God's going to have to give me an answer one day. I say, when you see him, that's not even going to cross your mind. When you see him, you're going to be like the rest of us. You get the chance to see him, you're going to fall on your knees and cry, Holy, holy, holy. So I want to bring you now in your mind's eyes. I don't read the lines because we don't really understand heaven like we should. Maybe I don't understand What is heaven? Like people say, it's our haven of rest, Pastor. It's our place of refuge. It's our city of refuge. It is our place to be. I can tell you a lot about heaven. But I still don't understand it. The reason why I don't understand is because I know that I shouldn't be there. I'm only going because of what you do. Yes. But I don't understand. Somewhere down the line, you said, 
Let's talk a little bit about heaven. You've seen famous pictures of what it is. You've seen the famous pictures of the streets are paved with gold. I know you have. That you heard the old Baptist joke about young preachers who go out and get themselves a, a cross around their neck made out of gold, and the other preacher will say, that's a fine piece of asphalt you got around your neck. You ever heard that before? It's funny. It's humorous. Understand something in heaven. Gold isn't what you think it is in heaven. In fact, gold is pretty useless in heaven. In fact, if you'll read quickly and, and closely in the Bible, you'll find that most gold in heaven is completely it's so pure. It's close to you can see through it. It's so pure. So, what's the point there? The point is, is when you get to heaven, there's going to be nothing to keep you from focusing on Jesus. There's going to be nothing that's going to catch your eye. There's going to be nothing that says, man, that's beautiful. Man, that's worthy. Man, that's holy. Man, that's costly. Man, that's expensive. Or, in my opinion, look at that classy place right there. What you're going to do is look at the land. Everything is going to make it expensive. The land. So you're going to come when you stand at the crossroads of your Lord. You'll have a hundred questions with you. Some of you do right now. Questions you can and can't answer. Rather than answering the questions one by one, Jesus may say, I'll put that in large. He may say, Put on your shoes, step down in the road, and follow me. And as you walk with me, you see how God heals the sick, see how God casts out the demons, see how God feeds the poor, clothes, the naked, see how God gives sight back to the blind. You start realizing not a philosophy. He's a person. The invitation is still there. Come and see. Do we have another spot here with him? As you walk daily with him, Jesus will answer your questions and you will discover far more than you ever even knew. We started out our message tonight looking in John chapter 1 and talked about this word that will stand close to the Father. So close literally knows so close it's like the fellowship never lasts in the there always so that's the relationship God wants to have with you he wants to pull you into that relationship and you're close with him walking with him talking with him along life's never over perhaps you say pastor I want that kind of relationship and I want you to know that the invitation Come and see. Still happening. I want you to know that Jesus is still crying out. Come and follow. Come and see. In fact, he's still looking. I said, Pastor, I want to be a preacher. Let me tell you, God is looking for preachers. Somebody say that. God is looking for workers in his kingdom. In fact, we are told to pray for workers and laborers to go out in the field for their white and the heart. Sometimes, as a pastor, it's frustrating when people say, Let's pray to see that the time is right. Jesus says, The fields are right. It's always right to be right. It's always right to be right. In fact, where we're wrong is when we don't go out and do We should be wrong. We should be wrong. The Bible tells us, Joel chapter 3, verse 14, He died a multitude of people. 
This is an impact man. Prophet Joel. Joel. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We've got to try to see decisions and make or break your relationship with God. It's your decision to make you a Christian or not. It's your decision of whether or not you want Him to be Lord or not. Some of you are saying, hey, I want God to prove it to me. God ain't going to prove it to you. He already has. He already has. You're walking on His creation. You are living on His world. The wind blows because He wills it. The rain falls because He wills it. And incidentally, even before I was a Christian, I was awestruck when I realized how powerful and how big our God is. I remember the day I woke up and I felt the wind blowing and began to realize that wasn't because some ocean moved thousands of miles away. It's because God had already ordained it to happen. And I took a look at it and stopped and realized that he spoke each one of those in Jesus. So I looked at the marvelous priest listen to the birds. I realize how intricately involved he is in his creation. You have a decision whether you want to be a part. Job says there's multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Incidentally, they are there. You're there right now. You need to make that decision today. Perhaps you need to give your heart to him tonight. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I am a Christian. Somewhere down the line, I turned a little bit to the right. Turned a little bit to the left. I slowed way down. I completely turned around and went back. When you did what a lot of Christians do, you start walking backwards. Start backwards. Maybe it's your decision to come back to Jesus tonight. Whatever the case may be, maybe you don't need to do so. We're going to have a prayer. If you spoke to me, I want to ask you to humble yourself and come tonight. Perhaps say, Pastor, I need to be a member of this church. Or perhaps say, Pastor. Just I'm pray for my family. We're going to close that word. So we'll sing a song. If he's spoken to you, if you will, we come tonight. Let's pray together. Father, country of Jesus' name, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the invitation is still there. Come and see. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts, Lord, online, the hearts, Lord, that are here in the fellowship or in the sanctuary, Lord God. Bless us and touch us and move us with your spirit, Lord. But if there be anyone that needs to make a decision for you, let's not forget that. In Jesus' great mighty name, we pray.